Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. And I'm your host, Chris Sands. We are still at, if you listened to the previous episode, Ocelot Brewing Company, but now I'm joined by Jasper, who I don't remember your last name and I probably can't pronounce it anyway. Um, it's uh, Jasper Akerboom, or you can say see, Jasper I was right. Akerboom. <laughs> Depends uh, what mood you're in. I detect a slight accent. Are you like, from Alabama? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> He's from Born Alabama. Born and raised. I'm from the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually Dutch. I'm from the Netherlands. And, uh, oh, I apologize. No, so it's, it's half funny. of all Americans for uh, <laughs> Sunday. Remember, this is, this is going to be recorded. Roll, roll tide. Roll tide. Go orange man. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Oh, wait, are you really from Alabama? I, I mean, not, oh, only I, I, not only do I wear the marketing <laughs> shirt, I really am from Alabama. I literally just ran through my head real quick, like, where's someplace in America that would have a strong accent completely opposite of? That would be mine. <laughs> huh. I, so... Cool. Uh, I guess I did pick the right state then. Yeah. So you are Trevor, and I didn't. I have never gotten your last Close. name. So I'm Travis. Travis. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm really bad at names. Uh, Travis, what say that again? Travis Tedro. And you gentlemen work for or we work the, for ourselves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jasper, just Jasper Yeast. Yeah. So it's uh jasper yeast it's uh travis and i are both uh founders owners you know it's uh janitors yeah (laughs) mainly janitors it's like 50 50 us that we start we started it together so uh, several um people that i've mentioned to that i was recording an episode with you all said awesome that's going to be amazing it'll that'll be really interesting um so no pressure, oh, but this, right. <laughs> no, no pressure, but this is expected to be good. Um, so you uh, cultivate yeast, I, I'm assuming is the main. Yeah, so we uh, what we do is like uh, we cultivate yeast, we isolate yeast, um, we grow pitchable quantities, we do quality control for people. It's, uh, it's yeah. It's Some con- consultation as well right. that yeah. goes with it so that's basically what we do yeah so uh, and both of you have worked as brewmasters that's previously correct. correct yep yeah so i started brewing in 2007 did an internship before that uh several breweries in the mid-atlantic area and jasper's been brewing since when i think it was i have to think now where are we again Maybe in 2013 or so, um, I s- joined Lost Rhino Brewing Company. Uh, I was, uh, at the time, moonlighting, set up their lab. I was still uh, working. Oh, that was volunteering, basically. But I was working as a research scientist at Howard Hughes Medical Institute at the Genelia Research Campus in Ashburn, doing something totally different, doing uh, uh, designing uh, proteins that would uh, indicate signals in the brain and then uh, but I wanted to do something different so uh, I joined Los Rhino started uh, to set up their lab QAQC lab and then joined full-time and then slowly made it up to a head brewer there yeah before I left 
So when you went to work for Lost Rhino, was it purely just based on that they were setting up a lab in your your history or your experience in science or were you already a, like a crap beer fan connoisseur well, home brewer yeah or? i mean I, I i was a home brewer um i was a home brewer back home so uh, back in the netherlands um before i came to the united states which was in 2007 early 2007 the home brewing scene there at the time is very different so it's uh, no ipa it's all belgians uh, there was one one store really in the country where you could go to, which was on the other side of the country, which is still only a two-hour drive. So just to give you an idea of the size. And uh, when I came to the U.S., I was like, I mean, my, you know, I had a my idea of American beer was jaded, you know, to say the least, thinking that it was all Bud Light, Miller Light, low quality, you know, cheap, easy, NASCAR drinking. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, the craft beer, craft brewing movement already started. And uh, I remember going back home to the Netherlands, bringing some beers, and people were like, wow, this is fantastic. What's going on there? And uh, so I, I was already into, you know, beer drinking, home brewing. Obviously, I'm, you know, science background. My background is microbiology. And I, I isolated my own yeasts for beers. And that's how uh, Lost Rhino and I basically connected because we brewed a. A beer that was 100% Virginia ingredients, and uh, I, I basically, you know, came with that yeast strain to the table, so that was truly 100% Virginia. Okay. Um, where in the Netherlands did you grow up? It was the south. Uh, it's a small town called Bokstel. Uh, very famous for being in the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle of the national railways between Tilburg, Eindhoven, and Den Bosch, where there's always train problems. So that's the only thing that it has going for, really. <laughs> I'm guessing they don't disappear, though. They don't disappear. No, that, would they, be well, that would be a real head like scratch. <laughs> for long periods of time, they are there, I guess. <laughs> Just sitting, not moving. My wife went to um, school for a little while in the Netherlands. Cool. Where, whereabouts? I've, I want to say Utrecht. Yeah, but Utrecht. Uh, that's where my brother uh, went to school at Utrecht University. And my niece is there currently enrolled. So it's a cool town. It's a, it's a very nice town, very historic town, nice canals, uh, good university. She loved it there. Um, how did you get into craft? What, what were you doing before? What was I doing you, before? Yeah. I was working on the hill for a little while, and so uh, not messing with brain proteins. Not, no, not trying to save lives. Like <laughs> no, uh, writing letters to constituents uh, for Alabama. Actually, um, it, it was sort of a it was a fun job. It was kind of a holding place for me. I always thought I was going to do something with my hands on my feet, carpentry, considered culinary school, did some homebrewing during college. Uh, like every home brewer, had a few good experiences and then thought, oh, I'm going to start a brewery. This is obviously, I'm obviously really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this best beer that's ever been made. <laughs> yep. Um, so I did that and uh, off and on, considering next move, I decided to jump ship. I left my job on the hill and moved to Portland, Oregon in 2006. At that time, I, in my head, I thought, well, that's got to be the mecca of craft brewing opportunities. A lot of cool things out there. It still is a great place. So went there with the intention of finding a job, and I found my way into unemployment very quickly. 
Uh, I got an internship that was the best I could come out with, um, which I have to say is a great way if you can talk a brewer into letting you have an internship, you can um, learn a lot more without having to do quite as much scrubbing as a a grunt entry level brewer. I think we have a yeast pickup. You, you want to jump out real quick? Yeah, I'll jump out real quick. Okay, that's I'll all be right. right back. All right, good. business rolls. <laughs> I have um, I I just have general questions about Al- Alabama. Okay, all right, I will do my best to field those as well. Yeah, so, I, I uh, so I, as being the, you, representing everyone in Alabama. Sure, that's what I do um, every day. What is it? Your what's your obsession with the University of Alabama? Well, I went there. That's okay. where I went to school. But I mean, like, so it comes, it, it, it comes, when, when I say you, I mean honest. you're representing the entire state. Like sure. with, there just seems to be a, a disproportionate obsession with, with the university. Yeah. So part of that is the name. You know, uh, there's a lot of people in the state that have that same question that went to Auburn. Uh, okay. And there's there's a uh, plurality of people that did not go to the university, which is fine. That are more the that crowd is a fan of Alabama as opposed to Auburn because the name of the school is the name of the state. Okay. That's easy money. There was I was there during some really dark days of football as far as a uh, quality of coaching so I, I went through tough times only to later have that you know turn around when I was uh you know long since graduated but yes yeah, it's, it's been good lately it's uh it's a great school I mean I, I thought it was a lot of fun I went to a small high school so it was fun to go to a big state school what does a tide have to do with elephants it has nothing to okay do, to do with elephants uh the crimson tide there's some announcer, I believe, at a football game long ago, and they saw the, you know, the, I think it was in reference to the defensive line, and said it looked like a rolling crimson tide. Okay, I mean, I, that the, makes sense. The elephant is a little bit more obscure, and I think you'd have to reference Wikipedia for that. Yeah, that was my next question. What exactly does that? Are, it's it's do, Big Al. You know? <laughs> to, are, are elephants uh, the indigenous biggest. to uh, <laughs> Alabama? I'm, I'm sure millions and millions of years ago, a few of them stomped around. <laughs> Um, you know, I was out in uh, uh, Portland for a, a brief stint. I, I did an internship at Laurelwood and met some good guys that are still in the brewing industry out there. Um, decided it was a little too far away to be a, a minimum wage guy on the West Coast. So I decided I'm going to um, do the Siebel program and did that, considered coming back east, threw some resumes around. And even though I was in D.C. originally, I never attempted to find a job. And once I Came back with an internship, did the Siebel program, ended up getting a gig at Capital City Brewing Company in uh, D.C. I worked in Maryland and Baltimore for a little bit before they closed that store, D.C. and Virginia. What's your degree in? Economics. Okay. Economics. I did, uh, you know, once I got into the industry, I started taking some trade skill classes. I did some HVAC. I did a TIG welding program, you know, things that were relevant, not directly part of brewing. But once you get into a brewing gig, you realize you need to be a plumber, electrician, all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you need to be a a microbiologist. You need to be a fake engineer. You know, it's an opportunity to do a lot more than just brewing if you're interested in that. And it's a, I always worked in, if it was a production brewery, it's a small, but usually brew pub setting, large production brew pub. So it's a, you wear many hats if you want to, you know, you don't have to, but it's more fun if you're, you know, giving yourself opportunity to learn new things, um, at the cost of, you know, eventually you're gonna have to get the professionals in there to fix it, but you can learn a little bit about it to maybe troubleshoot problems a little more quickly. And 
honestly, I think that's helped us out a good bit because part of our value is that we have a lot of experience with things that go right, even more valuable seeing things that go wrong. So you can share experiences and give people a heads up that are new to the industry. I think that's a lot of what we value and what hopefully other folks do as well. So where did you go? Did you go straight to doing this from capital or did no, you go so, to, did uh, you the, have pit stops at other breweries? Only one. I was a pretty faithful employee as far as uh, the brew pub scene. I think I was uh, 2007 to 2012. I was at Cap City. And then 2013, I opened up the new Gordon Biersch in D.C. at the Navy Yard location. I was hired. Okay. And I was the head brewer there from 2013 up until... We have been working on this, have been for a number of years. I went full time about a year ago, but literally years in the planning, you know, working industry jobs and figuring out how this is going to work out and knowing that it's a good opportunity in the area. Uh, but, you know, doing it on a kind of a lean budget was our, our project at the time. So Jasper, it's pronounced Jasper, right? Not the sure, wrong way sure. I said no, it the fine, first couple of times. Um, Jasper's back. Um, all you missed was I was finding out what um, Alabama, why Alabamans are obsessed with uh, University of obsessed Alabama. Obsessed with winning. Yeah. <laughs> and being a winner. <laughs> except for the national championship last year. <laughs> oh, except yeah. for that one big except game. Except for that Clemson thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and did you, did you start the East Lab – um, straight from working at Lost Rhino, or did you yeah, go started, anywhere? Yeah, we started uh, straight from Lost Rhino. Yeah, we had it basically. You know, it was like a business entity at the time. Uh, both had other jobs, but doing it on the side. Yeah, that's it. Started from very very small beginnings, and then worked our way up. So that's why it took a long time. But on the other hand, it was good for us because, uh, you know. We got to know really, I mean, to me, it was really important, like Travis already said, to get to know the industry a little better. And then being, you know, being a, a brewer selling yeast at the same time for us, that was a good thing to do. Yeah. So um, what made you leave the Netherlands to come to the U.S.? Was it um, World Cup soccer? or oh, Are you crazy? <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I... I yeah, no. That's always a that's always a sore point because the Netherlands uh, kind of like ends up in the finals and then never never makes it further than that. So well, you mean like two days ago? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> that, I mean the, the women, you know, they they have uh, they only qualified. I think this is the second time or first time they qualified for the World Cup. I don't know. They they are they won the UEFA Championship, but anyway. The, uh, your question was if I came, oh, why I came yeah, what, to the what, United what States. Yeah, what brought you to brought well, you here? I was a microbiologist, uh, and I went to uh, Wageningen University. It's a it's a university nobody knows uh, outside. If you're in the agricultural field, it's like uh, Cornell, uh, uh, UC Davis. It's actually ranked in the world ranking higher than those two when it comes to agricultural school. It's very well known in, in Europe and uh, in the field. I went there, did um, microbiology, like I said, and then uh, I did my PhD there and I needed to, I mean, in, the, in, in academia, your normal progression is PhD, postdoc, uh, maybe another postdoc, 
and then uh, hopefully a PI position someplace. And uh, so my trajectory was going to be a postdoc, and I, we did a collaboration with a guy who was at the time at Stanford, and he moved to HHMI, Howard Hughes, in Gen- at Genelia Research Campus, and he, uh, he, uh, he offered me a job. So I was like, well, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. So I packed my bags and, uh, you know, flew to uh, Ashburn, Virginia. Grab the clogs. We're here. Grab the clogs. <laughs> Grab the clogs. What else did I bring? Uh, clothes, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's how I ended up in uh, Northern Virginia, which was, uh, I didn't know. I, I remember driving, very vividly driving with this, this other, this American girl was postdoc too. Uh, a couple of people. There was it was an interesting time when I arrived because the, the the institution just started, so there was all new young people. Well, young, you know, kind of young, I suppose. I think I was thirty when I joined, and uh, that feels young now. It, uh, well, yeah. No, <laughs> uh, but uh, and then uh, I was we were driving through Ashburn. I was like, wow, is this another town? Is what's going on here? It's just like endless, endless, like. Uh, Development and the strip malls and that's what kind of Northern Virginia. And then you said, "Yes, this is home. This is this it. This is home, man. It feels home." <laughs> Netherlands yeah. of the U.S. <laughs> Northern Virginia. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of a getting used to, and uh, you know, biking is like uh, risking your life. Uh, but uh, things have gotten better. You know, you know, I've been here for a while. It's good. So, without you know throwing it under the bus too much. <laughs> Are you a citizen now? I am, yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> so you can't throw me out anymore. Right. <laughs> Locked in. And um, we're going to take a real quick break to thank our sponsors. And then we'll get back. Um, we'll talk about how, like, how did the East Lab come about? Where, how did you come up with the idea? What made you two? How did you meet each other and then get into business? So let's uh, thank our sponsors real quick and we'll be right back. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. So we're back. Travis kindly went and replenished all of our beer. You are welcome. Um, so Travis, you were working at Gordon Beersh. Yes, most recently. Jasper, notice how I said it correctly that time. Uh, you were working at Lost Rhino. Uh, when did, how and when did you two meet? Well, like most people these days, we met online. <laughs> no, actually, it was... Uh, Tinder? I, yeah, it was Tinder. Yeah, <laughs> Swipe Bill right. Madden. Bill Madden hook us up? He did, yeah. Bill he's, Madden did. No, I, he's a matchmaker. I, I posted desperately seeking microbiologists in <laughs> <laughs> on uh, casual encounters. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> your laughter is wreaking havoc on the audio levels. <laughs> No, no, feel free. I just wanted to point it out. So if anyone no, hears dude. a lot of clipping, that is what the boisterous laughter is. It's a damn <laughs> roll tide guy. What was it again? I think you were looking, uh, you had this yeast idea 
And I had the same idea, basically. Basically, yeah. It's basically <laughs> like a tie All to right. the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then you contacted Bill Madden, who said, like, reach out to Fabio. Fabio yeah. Garcia, who used to be, at the time, head brewer. Most Who's Rhino. Bill Madden? Bill Madden's the owner, head brewer of Mad Fox Brewing Company okay. in Falls Church. And he, <laughs> coincidentally... Uh, was the former head brewer at Capital City Brewing Company yeah. as well. So he He's been in the area and in, in brewing for a long time. He's kind of like one of the, you know... Grandfathers. Grandpappies, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Northern Virginia. A matchmaker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I put out a couple feelers, and he sent me to Fabio, and Fabio said, oh, got a guy that's uh, moonlighting, helping out, doing some work. And So by, by yeast idea, do you mean f- starting a company focusing in yeast or a unique approach idea for it well you know i I, at this point been in the industry for a few years and saw that as a possible opportunity to enter and contribute to the industry in a more not more creative but a slightly different way than i want to start a brewery i always wanted to start a brewery and you know it's something that's still on the table for us but i thought well this is something it doesn't seem like there's much in a way of Yeast labs, yeast propagation testing on the East Coast. We were doing some propagations. Right. We had a, a lab guy. We set up a small lab at Cap City. I thought, well, it's something to consider and talk and chat and having beers and discussing ideas almost free. So that's really where it started. We yeah. corresponded and met a bunch and yeah. you know started to take it pretty seriously, at least in concept. And that was quite a while ago. Um, we, were, we were fairly meticulous about it in, in many ways. Um, you know, almost to a fault, being very cautious and making sure that people were interested. I think we we put together a little, um, you know, for fundraising purposes, a, a sheet that said, "Would you be interested? You like this concept?" And we were around to almost a hundred local breweries, you know, friends and yeah. folks in the industry saying yes. If there was a business like this in the area, we would sign up for it. So that was uh, convincing for us and for other people that. Or not in the industry that did not know what we're talking about when we were thinking <laughs> about this. And then, you know, years and years and other things. Yes, we can fill in the details of what happened since that point. I mean, it was three plus years ago yeah, that it got real, sure. real serious instead of just beer chatter about it. Yeah. So are, are there many yeast labs? Because I, previously I had only ever heard of white labs. Well, and I mean, this was like a, at the time, you know, no. There were basically three big ones at the time. And it started, I mean, there was like, it started to come a little bit, but right now there's, there's, there's many more. Yeah. Okay. But I think uh, there's a lot of people who do it on the side, uh, who are not really big. And we never had the intention to do this on the side. We wanted to do this for real. You know, we also didn't want to become like, uh, you know, as big as Y Labs. That was not our intention, but we also didn't want to. You know, do this as a sidekick on the weekends. Does does White Labs only do yeast for brewing, or is it like a larger? No, no. They actually, I think they have facilities uh, all over the world right now. I think that well, they have two in the U.S. for sure. Uh, they have one in Asia. They have like a little tiny tiny shop in Europe. Um, and if you look at beer in general, craft beer. The you know the market the, the you know the, the the market is 
increasing in other countries, not in the U.S. Really, it's you know, I mean, this becomes like a maybe a different discussion uh, about uh, about craft beer. But I mean, there's a lot of opportunities in other countries as well, and obviously they jumped on that too. And they do sake yeast, they do wine strains. I mean, there there's other wine company yeast yeast that do uh, companies that do specific yeast for wine. They do that too. Uh, but the, they do cider stuff. They're they're very yeah. I mean that's them. I mean, are you I'm, are you exclusively beer or do you do no, no, distillers we, yeast? We do we do distillers yeast. We do cider yeast. We do uh, sake strains. We have a couple of uh, very unique sake strains that we got directly from Japan uh, that we are selling to uh, to uh, sake breweries. So it's not just beer yeast. No, we are. We're, I mean we. I would say wine we don't really do, but uh, that's a, that's kind of yeah. a different market, different ball game. Yeah, I mean, it, some labs are branching out into that just in the same way that Europe is a new market. Other types of alcohol are new markets for a company that was traditionally focused on craft beer. Right. Could you use distiller's yeast to make beer or would the yeah. flavors not... No, I think you could. I mean, like it's all about expectations, right? What are your expectations? It's... Uh, it's going to be very dry. I can tell you that of the bats. I mean, those strains are like developed to, you know, work and turn anything over into alcohol. So you're going to, you know, it's a most likely diastatic yeast that uh, will just destroy the wort to zero Plato or like below zero. Uh, but you could. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you couldn't. So you have to keep an open mind. So, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong or right on this, but least from my understanding for anyone listening it doesn't know distiller's yeast is focused on eating up as much sugar as possible as fast as possible to get the fermentation like to get the, the highest amount of alcohol in the shortest amount of time yeah that, that's usually that, yeah that's the goal okay. yeah yeah so what is it about the different yeast strains that that do that well, you, like, uh, you mean like uh, like what? Why? Why is distiller's yeast? The is it so much faster than your typical like Chico? Oh, the Chico's probably. I mean, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't say the word faster. Well, that's usually dictated by the temperature. In a lot of instances, oh, okay. they're fermenting much warmer because that's a catalyst for right. attenuation. Oh, okay. Yep. What it does do is like uh, the genetic potential of the strain, uh, it produces specific enzymes that can uh, metabolize uh, more complex carbohydrates than other yeasts could normally. There are certain strains that are in use by brewers that have a similar genetic background that also could ferment uh, more complex carbohydrates, therefore resulting in a lower gravity, a final gravity beer certain specific saison strains are well known uh but uh this you mean you want as much out of it as you can so that's obviously what you're going for all right so i probably should have started with this um apology where i'm sorry for any extremely stupid questions i ask because i know next to nothing about yeast there's no stupid questions no there are definitely stupid questions and i ask a lot of them Uh, but i i appreciate your kindness um so the how how does yeast work does it actually does it take in the carbohydrates and then expel alcohol or is it 
Because well, you mentioned enzymes, right. or is it releasing enzymes both. that do that? Both. Okay. So, I mean, the... And on a scale from 1 to right. 10, how stupid was that question? No, that's actually a 9. Okay. So, non-stupid. <laughs> <laughs> non-stupid question. No, it's a very good question, actually. So, yeast... Score one for Chris. So, um, there's, so, there's two ways that microorganisms can break down certain things. They can, indeed, like you said, they can in, in transport it into the cell in various ways. Uh, break it down there, do their thing, so to speak, or they could export a protein that is then an enzyme that breaks down whatever is outside of the cell and then transport whatever is then smaller, the smaller breakdown product, into the cell. So there's two ways to go about it. And you can think about it, for example, um, yeast is a fungus. Um, think about mold which is also a fungus. Mold lives on fruit. You know, if you have uh, an orange, leave, you leave that orange out for too long, it gets green, gets like uh, hairy. What is this mold doing? Mold is producing all kinds of extracellular enzymes that are breaking down all the, you know, organic structure of that fruit and then taking in all the, you know, the, the resulting smaller compounds these enzymes are, you know, metabolizing, what the, whatever they produce. So yeast does can have that potential as well. Um, it depends a little bit on the strain. There's, uh, you know, it maybe goes a little bit too far into detail to go really into this. But yeah, yeast can do both. When it comes to the more simpler carbohydrates, it's it's mainly intracellular. Okay, as opposed to the extracellular. Yes. And by by breaking down, you mean that it. So the. Carbohydrates have a certain molecular structure, and the yeast or, or the enzymes are breaking covalent bonds to then create new. Yeah, so <coughs> so an enzyme is a catalyst, right? So it doesn't really. Well, I mean, this is kind of becomes like a, you know argument. Is this how you would say it? They would basically catalyze a specific reaction. So yeah, covalent bonds are broken. <coughs> and this can happen in the cell or outside of the cell, depending on where that enzyme is present. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And then the yeast is you is it using for the intercellular tran- transition? It's it's using that for energy for it to yeah propagate and live or and yeah uh, all in, all the above right it's it, the same yeah. as you so <laughs> why are we drinking this beer now we're drinking the beer because it's tasty but it's also because we're not drinking if it we don't drink it we're gonna die so <laughs> we <laughs> have to live doing this for tomorrow <laughs> yeah so Maybe that's a good new tagline yeah. for ocelot <laughs> if you don't drink this you're gonna die <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, the yeast uh, generates energy, obviously, but it, uh, it also, I mean, there's, it, in the wort, there's much more than just, um, you know, sugar, you know, and energy, there's like nutrients, yeast need, you know, obviously many more different compounds to, to able to survive, but yeah, it needs it for that, but, you know, it, it yeah, it needs it for everything, basically. So now when a, when a batch of beer is finished, and, and the fermentation has stopped. Is the yeast dead, or is it still alive? But it's just it's used up all of its uh, food. Well, it depends. Certain breweries, <laughs> the yeast is dead. <laughs> okay, so if you're doing it wrong, you should be just the taking yeast is 
a nice nap at that okay. point. So it's yeah. once it's eaten up all of, or in, I guess at some point too, it's just, it's just what. Actually, I'll let you explain because I'm probably going to well, start saying stupid things. I want to stick to mine. So level once nine all those question. sugars are the max amount that that yeast can metabolize, it starts to go dormant. At okay. that point, most strains start to drop out of suspension, and that's why at, at breweries, as opposed to cidery, as opposed to wineries, they have that cylindroconical bottom. That's so that they can harvest that yeast appropriate techniques, so that they can repitch that yeast to another generation. They can feed it. They can immediately pitch it into another batch, aerate it, and it's still very viable, healthy yeast. So what causes it to fall out of suspension? What, what is keeping yeast in suspension, and then what causes it to fall out of suspension? I mean, it's gravity, basically, right? So, I mean, yeast is doing... So it's producing CO2. So uh, the, with this CO2 production... There's a certain vortexing that goes on into your fermentation vessel. When this fermentation is at an end point, all this stops, so stuff, stuff drops out. There's different ways that yeast can flocculate out. Certain yeasts stick together to other cells, so you have chunks of yeast cells that obviously will drop harder. Think about curdled milk. And certain strains don't, do not do this, so they f- have a slower uh, you know, way of falling out of suspension. So is it the expelling of CO2 that causes it to stay in suspension? Or Well, I mean, if you if have you ever fermented like in a glass garboy and you see it's like, it looks like, you know, it's like, I mean, how, we, how would you yeah, say it? It looks Travis? like it's getting air, you know, there's air being pushed into okay. it. Okay, so it's the, that, it's that the, mo- it it's the movement of the the liquid yeah the and of course if there's co2 it. and there's co2 especially if you have a yeast that's very flocculent you can see the co2 bubbles sticking to those chunks and those chunks are kind of like floating around obviously they're little bubbles and then it will you know there, there are variations between strains yeah. and that's very important to brewers that determines which strains they're interested in because flocculation assists in repitching and that is part of the speed of turning over tanks and making more beer clarity or or lack of depending on what you're looking for so that's all you know interesting points of ordering yeast and thinking about yeast that are maybe less pertinent for other industries but for beer people used to want incredibly brilliant clear beer they wanted to filter it they wanted to find it now people in certain styles want the opposite it's trending but there's certain strains that are better or worse at getting to that goal Okay, yeah, so certain strains will make it too clear, or well, or, or just better clear, at keeping it hazy. Both. Yeah, okay. Yeah, both. Depending on, for some breweries, that's good or bad, depending on what you want. Yeah, and it's not just the yeast and suspension that makes a beer hazy. It's also what you know, certain uh, chemical reactions. It's, it depends on the recipe. If there's a specific amount of, uh, you know, a high protein load uh, grains in your recipe, you get more haze. It's, I mean, it's, it's more complicated than just the yeast flocculation, so to speak. But yeah, there are yeasts that flocculate slower and there are yeasts that flocculate faster. And like Travis said, it's not really a sexy subject, but uh, if you're a brewer, uh, you like a yeast that flocculates, you know, at least medium fast, so you don't have to worry too much about it and get an easy repitch. You don't want something that stays in your tank forever and you get a very 
dilute slurry if you want to repitch you want you know you it makes your life harder right how many times can you repitch yeast i mean uh in theory infinite amount of times okay in, in, in practice less yeah. <laughs> so, so in, this isn't so somewhere between um a few and infinity yeah right much. and beyond <laughs> no, it's like um w- it things go wrong and and it's like anything else if you run a brewery say you run a production brewery and you have 10 fermentation vessels and you have five always in use and then you repeat from those five repitch from those five into the other five and you use one strain then you always have kind of like a pick of bunch of tanks and there might always be a strain like a for specific pitch that's good that's clean that's what you want and you can repitch it and this is you know the case for specific strains that are have been in use in breweries for say over 100 years so like guinness they're for they're example strain. guinness yeast guinness yeast british yeasts american strains are mainly british you know this is all very generalizing but i would say origins are mainly uh from britain strains that have been in, in use for a long time in breweries and they, they tend to be uh, stable. I mean, they are, you know, people have selected for them. So if you have them five tanks, you can go like, um, you know, quite a few generations. But sometimes if something goes wrong, uh, you know, or the strain is like changing, it will change. You know, you're putting a selective pressure on it always. So it will change. And if you're not happy with this change, then you should you know get fresh pitch okay so when breweries say that they they only go so many generations it's not because the yeast is bad it's that it's no longer generating the flavor characteristics that they're looking for i would say the yeast they're they're going a certain number of generations because the yeast is still creating the ideal flavor profile and they're not going past the point where it does turn so the goal for most breweries is to stop however many generations before they notice differences in flavor. Right. So it's not, but Regardless it's not Regardless of the source of those issues, they found a point of comfort where things work well for their practices, how they run their brewery. They want to stop before it turns. There's no percentages in trying to push that number. There's no value in going, trying to go, they don't make any extra money by going to the point where beer starts it's to like turn bad. No, I mean, this is maybe not really a true comparison, but think about an oil change, right? You can drive your car for how many miles? You can go another 10,000. Maybe you'll make it. Maybe you don't. <laughs> it's like what it, That is it, a good it, example, actually. <laughs> so you're rolling the dice at some point. And if you have a, if we, if you have a top-of-the-line lab with, like, uh, sequencing, PCR, genetic testing facilities, three PhDs, uh, you know, working for you, yeah, maybe you can do this. Breweries are not like that. It's yeah. like hands-on uh, brewing. Uh, you know, there's no time really most of the time for smaller places to really do the testing needed to go very far with those generations. But so the the yeast doesn't necessarily go bad though. It's just mutated or changed enough where it's not giving the flavors that they're looking for. It's not necessarily bad. It would still work. But the beer wouldn't taste the same. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, a, you know, what is, yeah. I mean, like, it's a, you're talking about a population, right? So if you say the yeast, it's, it's not one thing. It's like 
we're talking about trillions of trillions of cells in there. Maybe there's some that are slightly mutated or changed, you know, have a different uh, expression pattern of certain proteins. It's very hard to make certain statements about this, you know, without being very, very sure. But yeah, things can change. And it's also not always 100% clean. There's always something else in there. I mean, it's not like uh, pe- brewers are not clean rooms. There's always something else there. Oh, because as long it's as it's like at a <coughs> you know at low enough level, it's going to be okay. Okay, so also when you're collecting the yeast out of the fermenter, you're also collecting tons of other different cells. Well, so the more times you do it, hopefully not tons, but that's a absolute contamination point. Depending on how you do it, that's always a challenge for breweries of any sizes. How do you transfer the yeast? How do you store it? What are your you know, best practices? A lot of the issues come from not fermentation, but the time in between and, okay. and how much time that, that is yeah, for a brewery. Yeah. So as a lab, are you able to, like, or anyone, are you able to design yeast to produce certain flavors? Or well, how, I guess how, at the base of it, what, as a yeast lab, what do you do? <laughs> so, I mean, like when it comes to the d- design of flavors, that we're coming closer to that now, I think. Like in general, I mean, uh, the genetic uh, testing, the sequencing, uh, it's, gets, it's getting cheaper and cheaper to do this. Uh, sequencing a complete yeast genome, I think it's probably like 1500 bucks right now. It's very cheap. Um, and CRISPR technology makes it easy to put certain protein, like certain genes in you know, the genome, change certain things around, make certain knockouts. So you can indeed change flavors if you want to. So if you but it's more complicated than that. It's okay. more complicated than turning one thing on or off. So, yeah, but there will be a point in the future where this will be the case. Right now, that's not really uh, what we're doing. Or, you know, I don't think, I mean, some people might be looking into that. We're not looking into that. Okay. We're not but doing so any genetic. <coughs> we are 100% natural uh, yeast lab. We don't do any... We don't make mutant yeast, so you can use mutant. <laughs> mutant no X Men yeast. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, if if you were to look at the genetic um, makeup of yeast, would you be able, by looking at that, tell what flavors that that yeast is going to produce? Uh, I mean, this is hard, right? Yeah, to a certain extent, but not really. I mean. Yeah, you could. I mean, you have to do it. It also depends on not just on the presence of a gene, but it's also is this gene expressed? You know, is this this protein produced? Let's say it like this, right? We all humans have a certain we have. I don't know. I mean, this is maybe maybe it's not completely true, but for the sake of argument, we all carry some uh, uh, DNA materials for for full body hair, right? And it is, uh, some people have it on more than others, but there's like certain, there are certain people that have this, this switches turned on and they have complete body hair. Like if they were a cat, basically, right? <laughs> so we carry this within us, but it's not turned on. Okay. You know? So, so that's, I mean, this, so uh, it would again, be there, this night might not be a hundred percent correct. So the presence of a gene doesn't always indicate that this is actually occurring. It also depends on 
expression patterns and everything like that and not just that but then also it's often a pathway is the rest there is the rest of the proteins there that make this happen isn't it it's pretty complicated actually yeah um so as a yeast lab what do you do like what so on an average day what do you do so i come in I asked Travis, "Where's the coffee?" Where's the coffee? Because <laughs> he he I makes say, Hold coffee. On, I have to go to the bathroom because <laughs> I've been drinking coffee all morning. <laughs> he brings really nice coffee that he makes at home, and, and the yeah. rest we can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a lot. There's a lot of uh, honestly, a lot of the the weekly production and what we do is it is the uh, very close cousin to brewing. You know, it is the same family. And we also do lots of packaging. It's lots of cleaning. We do significantly more testing than yeah. than a brewery. Absolutely. Um, lots of plating. Uh, it, it's just us. So we do everything. You know, we're yeah. uh, we're here. We do marketing. We have. <laughs> we to, we we're or, making media right now. So we, 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 <laughs> every yeast, we, every prop we do, we test on uh, on uh, several different media to make sure there's no anaerobic, aerobic bacteria, no uh, wild Saccharomyces, no Brettanomyces. Then we have like PCR methods to uh, confirm our, you know. It's, it's like a brewery. We just don't have free alcohol, so we have to ask. We have to beg for <laughs> beer. We can, we can drink like uh, the leftover media from yeast props. It's not very tasty. <laughs> but we might live longer. from. <laughs> so do you do anything with bacteria, or uh, are you focused solely on yeast since that has become more no. popular and... We do we do uh we we uh we, we do propagate bacteria as well. We have uh uh mainly two lactose strains right now that we do, Plantarum and Brevis. And uh yeah, that's the the, the two right now that we, we do. So are are um are most of your cu- customers local or you have customers I guess it's Everywhere. both, but we're we're mostly focused in the DMV area, okay. absolutely. But there's pockets in, up and down the East Coast and west of that. Um, but yeah, we you know we've been in this area for a good while, so our our network runs deep in this area. So we we're we're fine with being a regional company, and it's uh, easier yeah. to maintain quality relationships if you can see them at least once a year. Yeah. I mean, that that's the type of business that I enjoy is getting to know the people that you're working with. Working for, so you said you do con- brewery consulting. Also, is that focused? Well, sorry, go ahead. Oh well, I mean, when I when I say consulting, I mean you buy the yeast, but I have a question about brewing a beer. That's free. Uh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> you have a question or normally so you don't when somebody work as like cons- like pure consulting where someone can hire well, you to that, come. That's not necessarily true. You you did a little bit of that Jasper with some startups. Yeah, you did true. some you know get folks on the right page. Um, you know that's. That's here and there. I mean, uh, I like to think that our consulting is a regular part of making sure folks put together a nice recipe or have good practices because different styles are more or less challenging than others. But you did some consulting, right? Yeah, I did some consulting for small startup breweries. Like people <coughs> got into the industry and had like uh, needed a little bit of help, you know, getting going. Didn't really know where to fo- what to focus on, and uh, yeah. So I mean, I feel a lot of 
startups or folks that are opening breweries, a lot of the information is free. You know, a lot of breweries would gladly let you shadow or hang out for yeah. a week. Say, hey, I'm opening a place in the area. It's a friendly community still, I feel. And in my time in breweries, there was a number of folks in the D.C. area that would shadow me for a day and just see what I did and I wasn't hiding any information or techniques and that helps people out a lot and you don't have to pay for that you know it's a kind of a one-day internship do you sell to home brewers also or just uh, breweries we do uh, sell yeast to one store kettles and grains in Leesburg okay it's kind of a I mean we're not always in there uh, uh, George if you're listening place another order buddy <laughs> but, uh, we do have uh, yeah Basically, that's the, the sole place that we sell yeast. Okay. I mean, homebrew, uh, for us, it's uh, right now not our focus. But, uh, I mean, we get a lot of requests from homebrewers. So, I mean, we want to make sure that they get the yeast they need as well. And if they want to use this, obviously, you know, they can always hit us up. So, if, if you could give one piece of advice as it regards in regards to yeast to any brewer, home or professional, what would it be? Other than, obviously... Uh, source oh, their yeast from Jasper. <coughs> One piece of advice. For, for best practices? Yeah. Stay fresh, stay clean. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, stay fresh, stay clean, and have the right expectations. You know, so don't... And, and realist, yeah, realistic expectations. Realistic and if, if, if you do like a quad... And you're like, man, this, 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 I'm at day 10 and the fermentation is only going like a quarter plate a day. Yeah. I mean, that's maybe what it is, you know, that you can't have, you can't not, you can't have it, everything like going super easy. You, know? yeah, you can't write a script without reading something that happened before right. and thinking it's going to work out just because you, you dreamed it up. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of that, you know, so, um, Actually, I think I'm out of questions. The problem is that I know so little about yeast, I don't even know what to ask. I think you asked so some good questions. Yeah, I, think no, I'm I, good. I thought the question you asked were really good. Yeah. Cool. So. But, well, the problem is I'm out of good questions. So, <laughs> so is there anything I didn't ask, that uh, knowledge that you can impart on the listeners? Well, I mean... what What's the number one uh, an environmental factor that's important to yeast? Is it is temperature? The Temperature is very important, yeah. Temperature, aeration, yep. it's very important. I, I, I think um, proper storage is kind of my new number one thing to remind people of. If they, if they want something to last numerous generations, it's the ability to confirm that. You know, maybe consider doing cell counts, doing viability tests, or ask how other people are storing yeast, um, you know, so you can get the most out of what you're you're using and meet expectations. It's tough with uh, hazy IPAs and things like that because people are brewing with techniques that make yeast less viable or more challenging to repitch. So, yeah. okay. so there's a lot of there's a lot of thought people thinking about how to skin that. Yeah, there's a <coughs> it's a it's in the past the breweries that were successful had people you know there that were like had had like a lot of experience under their belts had been in the industry for a long time went to school for it you know degrees in brewing etc etc right now i think a lot of the cool hot places uh, that might not be the case anymore and um i want to redo my answer by the way when you're 
<laughs> all right. You finish. <laughs> all right, I'll finish and then you can do redo it. So there's, uh, and people need to, like, and this, you know, I'm going, how can I say this in a nice way and not without throwing anybody on the bus, which is not what I'm trying to do, but there is a little bit of, uh, within the industry, it's sometimes hard for people to take uh, constructive criticism. And they had a beer that sold really well and it might but that doesn't mean that what they're doing is the is the is the most optimal way of doing things and it it might work that one time but maybe it doesn't work the next time and for people that's really hard you know that are like just got into the industry you know started this new whole place and that might be sometimes a little difficult and we just want to help you know we just want to make sure that people understand to get stuff done as affordable and as as good as possible, but not cutting any corners. And uh, yeah, that, I mean, my point would be, it's never bad to invest some time into understanding really what's going on. You know, I know people are making all this New England IPAs, putting all kinds of stuff in it. And but what's really fermenting there? What's really happening? A lot of people forget that a little bit nowadays because it's not what makes money right and this is you know i don't want to go off on this rant about all this <laughs> stuff but <laughs> then i'll cut you off <laughs> yeah do that. but it is important you know, and we all we want to do is help people and be like hey you know uh don't we don't want to step on any toes but you know this is maybe a way you can do things to make you know make your life easier make it last longer make it more successful etc you know that's that's what we we try to be the guy in the background trying to help tap on the shore yeah i mean i'm i'm my thought was similar to that is just ask questions you know uh, maintain perspective and ask as many questions i think recently we've been most impressed uh, with certain breweries with young brewers that have very little experience that just destroyed us with questions and other people and all over the place and their learning curve unbelievably yeah. short just Absolutely. really, really impressive. And I, it's interesting to see that because you can see the opposite. Someone say, oh, I've been brewing for 13 years. Well, sure, but how much have you been learning every six months? Yeah. Somebody in one year learned a decade worth of information because they're really pursued information. Question. To oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And you can know everything. And if, if I talk to somebody and he knows something that I don't know, I have a good day because I learned something that day. You know, and if I, uh, it's not about like I know it better than you. No, it's about learning, and like we we just want to share our information, you know, and that, that's all we want. And we're always learning as well. You know, yeah, we learn absolutely. a lot from brewers these days because even from two years ago when we really started pursuing this, trends have changed, and so we're trying to keep up to date with what brewers are doing so that we can still be helpful with things that maybe weren't part of a brewing practice when we were brewing oh, because yeah. it moves so quickly. Yeah, it does. It does. It changes so quick. So, how do uh, brewers find you and your product? jasperyeast.com do you want me to share Jasper's cell phone as well right now <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not I want to do that jasperyeast.com <laughs> yeah, is probably yeah. Uh, yeah. we have an Instagram enough. account we have, we're on Twitter too and I think we have a Facebook we're, in, we're not super active on social media but uh, we will respond you know. and if, if, you're, if you're at Oslot you know three units or one unit down yeah. you know. just come <laughs> knock on the door you yeah. know? Absolutely. we're usually here well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time um, and for expanding my non-existent yeast knowledge. Um, 
letting me know why Alabamans are Roll Tide. Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thank you for letting me point out that the U.S. are better at soccer than uh, people. Oh, <laughs> burn. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> we'll see, buddy. Uh, <laughs> um, and a big thank you to Adrian for letting us use this space and sure. supplying yep. us with um, beer to drink during the episode. Very delicious. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh, my God. That's good.